There we go. Well, it was not the on button, it was the mute button. <laughs> Leave the technical stuff to the experts. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Phil. And yeah, this is a little high. How can we pull that back down? Feel like I'm at the kids' table. There we go. That's good. So we've had a couple of uh, very interesting 24 hours. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, midday, I guess, Brandon got a call from his aunt and uncle in northern Kentucky and um, found out his mom had collapsed and her heart had stopped. And so, of course, you know, he and, uh, he and uh, Megan and the kids all rushed to, to northern Kentucky uh, where they found her. They already had her in the ICU, and um, they are trying to figure out what happened, but her heart just stopped, and it took several minutes to, with CPR by uh, her, her uh, brother-in-law, and then also uh, they had to shock her several times. Uh, to get her uh, um, back in, and her heart's kind of fluttering, and so they are taking 24 hours to lower her temperature and, uh, and see if that can settle everything down, and then they'll bring it back up sometime this evening and uh, see uh, what happens from there. But So obviously, we are all in prayer for Brandon and Megan, and, and Marsha is... Uh, is uh, Brandon's mom, and he's got a couple of siblings uh, that uh, we want to pray for as well. So if we, if we can stop right now and just have a word of prayer for the Hatfields. We thank you, Lord, for the, the avenue of prayer and what we know it means. And for Brandon and Megan, Ethan, Jacob, Addie, we just pray that mom and grandma will be okay. We lift him up, we lift her up, the doctors and nurses, but we know uh, through personal experience and otherwise, uh, you are a great big God, and we boldly place her in your hands. She is a very faithful, godly woman, and we pray that you will provide for her, and through this time, provide for the Hatfields. So we thank you for this avenue of prayer. We thank you for this group of people lifting prayers on their behalf. We pray you honor that faith. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So, you know, we've been working on this baseball theme. Life comes at you fast. And in the course of a baseball game, there's often times in a, a period where uh, somebody on the mound may be struggling and the manager has to go out and raise the arm and it's time for the old right-hander to come in. So that's what we got today. Uh, you got me today, the old right-hander. And partially you got Brandon because it's his sermon. <laughs> I got the call uh, late yesterday afternoon that, you know, what was going on and I'm like, well, I'll just try to pitch it and take what he's got, which isn't a whole lot. Man, Holy Spirit takes over on Sunday morning. But hey, uh, 
Before we get started, I, I did want to, uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, you heard Brandon talk about the ballpark, and today is the last day that you can get tickets, sign up for them here. So if you're planning on going, don't put it off. Don't leave here without making sure you've signed up uh, for that. And then also wanted to bring you up to date. We always like to celebrate the uh, folks who are making life change. And uh, last week we had um, Starting Point, and we had uh, 19 guests, and uh, seven folks signed membership uh, uh, certificates, and then we're baptizing three folks at the 11 o'clock. So it was a great evening. Um, have you ever thought about the things in your past, and, and not only even though, not even talking about way back, but just recently, four or five years, ten years ago, how things have changed? Now, I can remember growing up, and one of the big things in my house growing up was this monstrous china cabinet. It, it tinkled every time you walk through. You know, anybody, I don't think, we didn't need a home security. We had that, we had the china cabinet. If anybody's trying to break in, ticka, 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 yeah, we'd know somebody was in there. But I can remember that was a big deal to my mom. She had her great-grandmother's china set. She had her grandmother's china set. She had her own china set. And, you know, the interesting thing about the china set is I would get depressed every time I would walk in and I'd see the china out because I knew I'd have to take a bath. <laughs> like, oh, we got company coming over and I got to get cleaned up and wash my ears and all that kind of stuff because we're going to have company. And sure enough, my mom, she put that spread out with all that china. And I can remember having a family, uh, it was like, I was, we were married, Marsh and I were married, and we had come in uh, from, from here and got into Virginia, and we were having a big, I think, Thanksgiving meal. All of us from the family around this table crammed in, some people sitting on stools, and some people sitting in the regular chairs, and I mean, all the kids were there, high chairs were there, and we got all the china out, and I can remember we were passing everything around, and you know, I, my brother and I, he's a little older than me, and he is watching today, uh, and uh, he's at my house actually watching, and um, he, uh, we always had to pay special attention because we never wanted to drop China because that would be the end of our life, <laughs> basically. So we're passing things around, and when I get my plate full, and I pick up my cup with China glass, and it slipped right through my hands, right onto the center of my plate, and shattered my plate. And my brother was directly across from me. And so I looked straight up, and all he was doing was this. <laughs> and all he's thinking is, I'm glad it's you, man. <laughs> and even though I'm married and have my own kids, I was fearful. Now, we'll come back to that uh, in just a minute. But do you ever think about the stuff that you thought was so important five years ago that you just had to have, and now you walk out in the garage, it's in a box, or you go down the basement, it's in a storage closet, 
And you look at it and you go, man, five years ago, I thought that was going to solve everything. And now it's just stored away in a box. Well, let me ask you about you five years from today. You know, one of the big things in the corporate world is when you go in for an interview or something like that, they'll ask you, where do you see yourself in five years? You know, what plans do you have? What goals do you have to see yourself in five years? A big thing in church growth, they'll talk about that. Whatever you're running on Christmas, Easter, that's, that's what your goal is in five years. You know, what, where do you see yourself? And it's not about things or, you know, stuff that we just needed, but let's take an internal inventory. Where do you see yourself in five years? Where did you see yourself five years ago? If you think about it, whatever age you are right now, add five years to it. What do you think your life will be like? What will be important to you? Whatever you see in five years should become important to you right now. And I think most of us believe that life will automatically get better at some point. I think that's one of the reasons we look so forward to New Year's Eve, where we can go, this year was terrible. Putting it behind me. It's all going to be new in the next year. And then we wind up at the end of the year getting ready to celebrate New Year's, and we still feel the same. We still feel the same way. We end up just repeating the same patterns a lot of times over and over again. So let me break it down in a few categories. Let's think about this. Look at your spiritual walk. Are you closer to God now than you were five years ago? Or has that wall come back up? Have those habits snuck back in? Can you honestly say you're not lukewarm? Relationally, what kind of friendships do you have? How deep are those friendships? Are there few? Are there any? Or do you look at relationships and realize that's not a good influence for me right now? Married five years ago to today. And what do you want to see in five years? Is it strong and intimate? Or is it struggling and headed toward divorce? Financially, or you feel like you're strong, that you're generous, that you got a great job, that you're heading in the right direction, or you're struggling with debt, constantly worried about the bills, and you don't love or you don't even like your job. Now physically, were you better five years ago? Are you better five years ago than you are today? The truth is you absolutely could be, and you could be stronger, than you are today. Now, I was doing better five years ago than I am right now. Uh, but because of what I'm dealing with, and, and if you don't know, I'm struggling with some cancer. I know I'm eating better. I'm losing weight. Uh, I'm learning a lot about my body and making strides with my diet and nutrition. Uh, I just happen to have a vampire living in my body that's sucking away all my blood. And uh, that's kind of keeping me a little weak. 
I just want you to think about for a moment that life comes fast. Five years is going to go by in a blink of an eye. Now, parents are starting to feel this. Grandparents, you know this. Life goes by in a blink of an eye. And I will acknowledge that there are some outside influences that we have no control over that will impact us in the next five years. But we can predict with a high degree of certainty and accuracy what your life will be like in five years, and here's why. Habits we have today will shape our lives tomorrow. Habits we have today will shape who we become tomorrow. And the way you're living today shapes who you'll be tomorrow. The question I have for us is today is, do you like the direction you're going in? Do you like where your habits are taking you? And I really want to kind of hone in today on those spiritual habits. Do you like the trajectory of your spiritual life based on your current habits? Because intentions never determine direction. No matter what you want and when you want it, what you want doesn't determine who you become. Hope doesn't change your life alone. It gives us a direction, but habits are the things that change us. Intentions don't determine our direction. Our habits do. And when we're going today, as we kind of follow through this sermon, we're going to take a look at a couple of passages. If you have your Bibles or look at the screen, we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. And it says this, Don't be misled. You cannot be mocked. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. And just at the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. That scripture says, don't be misled. Other translations see says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A very literal translation, and this is really the heart of this passage that I'm going to give you, and this is the uh, BHRV, uh, it's the Brandon Hatfield Redneck version. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. Here's how Brandon interprets this passage of Scripture. Don't be stupid. Paul's words are very, very strong as well. And he simply is giving us essentially two options. He says, if you're sowing to the flesh, in other words, if your habits and in your lifestyle reflects the sinful nature, from that you will reap destruction. On the other hand, if you sow seeds in the habits of the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life, destruction and death, or eternal life and godliness. Now I want to take a little sidebar here and throw a passage of Scripture at you that kind of illustrates this. And I always used to, when I was in youth ministry, I would read this passage often. And I would always uh, ask my kids, let's take an inventory of the last seven days. We're not going to talk about five years ago. 
Let's just talk about the last seven days. It's Galatians chapter 5. It starts with verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what sinful nature desires. There are two forces that are constantly fighting each other. And they're fighting in your, in your spiritual soul. So you are not free to carry out these good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now I want you to take a little inventory here. See how the last seven days or the last 30 days or the last 12 months factor in. When you follow these desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Check your inventory. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. What inventory, what list best represents your last seven days? Or the last month? That's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the direction that your habits are taking you. And how you're investing and being intentional about it. There's a parable that Jesus tells in the book of Matthew. Matthew 13, 3 through 8. He often told stories in parables. You know, these are earthly stories, but they have a much deeper heavenly eternal meaning. He said in verse 3, Matthew 13, such is, such is this parable, such is this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and as he scattered them across his field, some of the seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted up quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was planted. Now, later on, the disciples came to him. I love the disciples because I feel like I would have been right in there with them, not knowing what Jesus was talking about. <laughs> later on, the disciples came to Jesus and said, we don't understand the point of your story. What does it mean? And Jesus, in verse 19, says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom, but they don't understand it. 
then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Now these are the people that are really, they become hard-hearted. They thought they saw something that kind of intrigued them, but then when they started looking at it harder, no, it's not for them. Verse 20, the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receives it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or they're persecuted for what they believe. These are the people who get really excited. Maybe they show up at church, they hear a certain message, they go to a concert or an event, they buy the Jesus t-shirt, and they're on fire. But as fast as that passion started, it flames out. We see this all the time. You know, we, we as staff get nervous when we see these folks get all fired up. And they all talk passion, but we don't see them getting rooted in Jesus. They like the feel, they like the mountaintop, but we don't see them digging in, drawing a line in the sand. You know, we get a lot of these phrases here uh, a lot of times. This is the best church I've ever been to in my life. All this stuff about Jesus is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Man, this is a mountaintop. I'm never coming down. And in my mind, I'm like, ooh, it's going to be a long fall. Brandon shared a story with the staff a, a, few, a couple of years ago. He said a lady showed up on a Sunday morning, got really emotional. I've got to have Jesus in my life right now. I've got to have him. So I asked her, would you like to talk to somebody about it? And she said, no, I just want to get baptized right now, there, right now here on the spot. And so Brandon said, okay, and I did it. I baptized her, and it was a nice moment. And then she told me after the service, thanks for baptizing me. It was the 15th time I've been baptized. But I can tell this one's really going to take. Well, guess what? We ain't seen her in a long time. <laughs> Jesus goes on in verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. Now you can picture this, you can see this, with the thorns coming up on this tender shoot, and they just start choking it out. We see a lot of folks like this come through these doors, that they really want to believe in Christ, but they really don't want to let go of culture of the world. Especially when they find something that it's hard to put their hands on, because it goes against what the world says. And next thing you know, they start drifting back. Well, I, I like the way they say it. Uh, well, the way God says it is hard. I think I'll go with that. And they get choked out, and you never see them again. It's like a credit card. You got credit card debt. I'm worried about the world. I don't like the way things 
seem, you know, they just, keep, they just keep going to the world. I don't like the way things look. I don't like things politically. My family dreams, the fact that my family isn't the way I wanted them to be. And they just start drifting. Maybe I'm single and I want to get married. Or I'm married and I can't have kids. I have kids, but I don't want these kids. And if you're a kid here and your mom's laughing, you need to go home and clean your room. <laughs> but this person, all who cares of what the world, what they think, it stunts their growth. But there's one more scenario that God, uh, Jesus talks about in verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as they were planted. That's the person who gets it. And I know there's a lot of people in this room that get it. And because you produce fruit. So here's a couple of quick observations before we close out. Number one, you harvest, according to Jesus, you harvest what you plant. If you plant an apple tree, you're not going to get grapes. Whatever you're planning in your life, whatever habits you're developing, whatever priorities you're making, that's what you're going to get. If you decide to plant and be intentional about planting godly habits, you will reap godly outcomes. But the opposite is true. Hosea, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 13 says this, But you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sins. You know, I think most of the folks that come through these doors, I don't think we're intentional about harvesting uh, a thriving crop of sins. I think a lot of us are more like the seed that fell to where the thorns can come up and choke them out. We just get distracted. We get easily turned away. It just gets a little hard and we have a hard time trusting somebody we cannot see. You know, I know people that are shocked when they reap what they sow. Somebody will complain that they don't feel good, and their stomach feels like it's full of rocks. Well, what have you been eating? Pizza, brownies, cakes, and cookies. And you say, well, there's your problem. No, that couldn't be it. I drink diet soft drinks. <laughs> you harvest what you plant. You harvest what you plant, physically, spiritually, in your relationships. You know, I know people uh, with adult children who complain that their kids never come and see them. They never call. They never visit. How could they be that, like, be that way? And then you talk to the adult child, the son or daughter, and they said, my whole child life, my parents were never there. All they did was yell, criticize, and complain. If you don't like what you're harvesting, Change what you're planting. Number two, you harvest more than you sow. When you plant a seed, that seed sprouts into a plant or a tree that will produce fruit and can, that contains a lot more seeds. There's a multiplication factor at work. In verse uh, 23 of chapter 13, Jesus says this, The seeds that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundredfold after planted. 
Here's what I want you to know. Small, smart choices plus consistency plus time equals a radical difference. Don't underestimate the power of a faithful life. A faithful life equals small choices every day. It may not always be glamorous in the moment, but small faithful choices over time lead to a major impact. I think about the person who says that they never feel close to God. I just never feel that close to Him. And you ask, well, how much time do you spend with Him? How much time do you spend serving? How much time do you spend in worship? Well, I go to church sometimes. Well, what about this? What if you started doing just something very simple? On your way to work, let's say you have a 30-minute commute, and on your way to work, instead of listening to the radio, talk radio or sports radio or just pop music or country music, uh, what if you just turned the radio off and you just started talking to God? You just start asking Him to talk to you. Maybe that would be 30 minutes a day. Well, if you could do that, that's one simple thing. And at the end of the week, you'd have six and a half hours of prayer. That's 338 hours in one year. Just that one little thing, it might make you get closer to God. What if you started reading your Bible? What if you started serving one hour a week or one hour a month? What if you did something that just you were totally dedicating to Jesus? He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. I tell you, if you're praying six and a half hours a week, if you're serving the Lord an hour a week, if you're cracking your Bible open a few minutes a day, you're not just going to feel closer to God. You're going to be walking with God. And you're going to be walking with God in a whole new way with small, smart choices. You know, I know guys and girls that are so stressed and down. They don't feel good. They don't have any confidence. Their health is out of control and it spills over into everything that they don't feel good and so they stop making wise choices. So they waste their money on junk, which causes financial problems, which then causes problems with the spouse, which puts stress on the family at home. And so now the kids are trying to figure out a way to cope with all this going on at home. And they're not doing well at school and everybody is miserable. I want to go back to where I started this morning. Those dishes. You know, in our house, we had those china dishes. And then we had everyday dishes. Now, they were in the kitchen in, in a cabinet. But we, did the, we pulled those out every day. They went everywhere with us. The china, it came out on special occasions. And only special occasions. But everyday plates went with us every day, everywhere in the house. Sometimes even in the car. 
And it would bang around, and we'd chip them, and you know, whatever, and mom never threw a fit about them. But there was a lesson there for me. I think a lot of us look at our spiritual life and our spiritual habits as the china cabinet. We only pull God out for special occasions, Sundays, holidays, tragedy, uncertain circumstances. Oh, we want God out. And we want to lean in hard. But what about the everyday? Do we not take him to the living room? Do we not take him to the bedroom? Do we not sit out on the back porch? He goes with us every day. That's how we start these small choices. You know, God had something to say about this. Moms and dads, I want you to listen. In the book of Deuteronomy, when, he's, when Moses is delivering the second law, he shares this. He talks about the law, and then he tells everybody, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. And then he goes on to say, moms and dads, teach this to your kids. Impress them these things about who God is. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them to the symbol. Tie them as symbols. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them down on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, some translations of that says they use the phrase "teach diligently," which in the Hebrew that concept means you're teaching to cause to learn. It's not enough that you just pass along the information. You want to make sure that your children are learning what they need to know. The sobering revelation here is about those who are ultimately responsible with the stewardship of what is eternally true. It wasn't Moses or the child, but it was the parents who are ultimately responsible for what should be learned. If you want to start healthy habits in your home spiritually to draw everybody closer to the Lord. Follow this plan. God's plan has been there since the beginning of the family. Right here, Moses shares, when you walk down the road, when you sit down to eat, when you lay down at night, when you eat meals together, when you're walking and traveling together, when you're tucking them into bed, when you're getting them up in the morning, there's a rhythm every day that you can establish in your home that will help teach your children these habits and maybe teach you these same habits. It's a rhythm. And in order to create a rhythm, you need to create a priority. Is this a priority in my house? Do I want to be one of those good seeds that produce fruit well beyond the way I was planted? A priority is simply a predecision about your time. It's a predecision. We are going to do these things. We're going to eat together. When we travel, we're going to talk about some things. When we lay down at night, we're going to pray together. And we're going to talk about some things that need to be talked about. And I'm going to fill your bed with you in it with all kinds of positives. I know my words weigh a thousand pounds, 
and I want to make sure I'm building you up in this bed, not tearing you down. Small, smart choices over time make a radical difference. Do you like what you're harvesting? The last thing I want you to remember is you harvest after you plant. We can all get discouraged. We can all, we can all get discouraged when we don't see the results fast enough. You might pray for five straight days and not feel that close to God, so you give up. Or you go to the gym for a week and you still weigh about the same. You don't see the quick results that you wanted. At home, you decide, okay, we're going to do some date nights. And you go on a couple of date nights with your spouse, but you still feel a lot of tension and unresolved issues. So it's just easier to ignore each other and go to the opposite ends of the house. We wrongly conclude that small decisions don't matter that much, but they do. Our lives are the sum total of every small decision. You know, I I heard a, a businessman say that success is solving problems My success through the years is just solving one problem after another. And when I look back and see the problems we solve, I've had a successful life. And a lot of those problems are small ones that need to be taken care of. I want to encourage you today to look five years down the road and see where you're going to be, especially spiritually. Where's this church going to be? And I'm not talking about the physical plant of this church. I'm talking about the people in the pews. Where are we going to be in five years? Galatians 6, don't be misled. Brandon Hatfield's redneck version, don't be stupid. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always, you will always, you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life in the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing good. And here's the key. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. So we'll reap that harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I don't want you to give up. I want you to, har- I want you to draw a line in the sand. Dig deep for those roots in Jesus so that in five years from now you have established a legacy and people are following you and you are producing fruit. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to love on you and to serve you and to worship you because, Lord, of all you've done for us. What else can we do but turn to you? Again, Lord, we lift up the Hatfield family and those who are struggling. We've got some folks, uh, a couple of families going through times of grief uh, today and tomorrow. I just pray that you will, your spirit will be close. And if you need us as your hands and feet to provide for them, Lord, open those opportunities for us. But Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for Jesus. And we give you this time in his name. Amen. We'll see you guys next week.